Hello and welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. I'm Evan Ball. Today on the show, we welcome Emily Wolf. Emily just released a brand new album called Outlier, produced by Michael Schumann of Queens of the Stone Age. So we discuss that album. We also discuss the city of Austin, her hometown, and we talk about road life, music business trends that might persist beyond COVID, non-fungible tokens, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, Emily Wolf. Emily Wolf, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're in Austin. Is is this where you grew up also? Yeah, I I was born in North Carolina, but I moved here with my family when I was pretty young. Um, so I was raised here. And yeah, I love it. I I haven't <laughs> moved ever since. You've probably seen some change then. Oh my God. Totally. It's it's wild. It seems like a brand new city, like every five years it's it's multiplied. But it's good. It's you know, there's a lot of art, a lot of great people, a lot of friendly faces and yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I've I was there probably fifteen years ago. So I'm sure it's way different. But I know it has the reputation for I think it's the fastest growing city in America. I believe it. I yeah. for sure believe it. Mm-hmm. But it's also got a reputation for for live music. So was it a supportive environment for you as far as opportunities to play live? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a ton of venues and a ton of bookers and promoters. And it's, I mean, it's just a great city if you're trying to develop as an artist, um, which is what I did. I mean, I'm, I still feel like I'm developing, uh, but at the same time, I, I did kind of plant my roots here and then, um, yeah, I got to try different styles out and, you know, I kind of started out as an acoustic act and then evolved into an electric kind of three-piece band. So, yeah, it's been it's been great and there's a ton of a ton of artists here and it's just a really great vibe. I'm glad to hear it's living up to its its reputation then. Yeah. It just seems like more and more it's harder to find places to play live. It's hard for a lot of these places to hang on to the the live music when it's maybe more lucrative in other areas, but Good to hear. Good for Austin. Yeah. Where are you out of? You're out of... Uh, I'm in San Luis Obispo, California. Cool. uh, Yeah. Do you know where that is? I don't, but I love California. Yeah. So we're right in between LA and San Francisco on the coast. Oh my God. That's awesome. So this is where we make all our instruments, electric guitars and basses, and then all the strings, accessories are made down in Coachella, California. That is cool. Yeah. It's a great spot. It's it's sort of a small town, uh, college town. But there's a lot going on. Beach is close. There's mountains. And it's got kind of a vibrant downtown for a small town. So it's nice. That's awesome. Man, that sounds great. Yeah, maybe you'll play through here soon one day. I'd love, yeah, I'd love to. I think I'm supposed to actually do like a West Coast tour in Q1 of next year. So I I will. All right. So backing up, uh, what came first for you, vocals or guitar? Definitely guitar. Um, I was actually too afraid to sing until I was like 20 years old. Um, oh, wow. I don't know why, but it was just like a phobia I had. Um, but then, you know, through college, I kind of had the, you know, inevitable heartbreaks and that kind of opened up my world into singing and expressing myself that way. But yeah, guitar was first. Did you start singing like in service of guitar? Like, well, it'd be a lot more convenient if I could sing and play guitar or was it more of a, a passion that you naturally developed? Yeah, I think it was a little of both. I 
I had a, a little band in college and um, I was I was the guitar player and it was me as a guitar player and a singer and I was like I kind of got to a point where I was like well maybe I could just do this myself yeah <laughs> um, so uh, yeah I kind of just gave it a go and my bandmate was really encouraging and so that was kind of something that pushed me to be a solo artist yeah well, it's a big step up. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way how you described how you used to be. Like playing guitar, I felt pretty comfortable, but actually singing, I sort of had to be pushed, and mm-hmm. it was out of my comfort zone more. I mean, you're for one, you're you're stepping more directly in front of the stage, and two, it's just for me. I feel like guitar, I can look and see my fingers are on the right frets. Yeah. Uh, for vocals, it's more concentration. Sometimes making sure you're hitting the right notes. Is the sound system shitty? Or is it you know? There's a lot of yeah, factors. Totally. Yeah. It's like like singing is like I feel like a lot like playing fretless bass or something. Like you're there's right. so many like different. You know, if you're flat, if you're sharp, it's like it's tough to kind of you know. There's less of there's less rails on it, I guess. For um, sure. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Did your parents play instruments? Or sing or anything? Not really. Um, my mom, you know, like before when I was little, before I was born and when I was younger, sang in church sometimes. But other than that, not really. I had an uncle who played bluegrass music. Um, and so he was kind of influential in that way. But So how'd you come upon the guitar then? Man, I, I just saw it one day. Um, I remember I was like five or six and I... I looked down the aisle of this shop that my mom took my sister and I to, and I saw this like harmony acoustic guitar and it was this awakening moment. Um, Five or six, you said. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just kind of fell in love. And did you get the guitar? Yeah, I did. I begged my mom for it. Yeah. I still have it actually. So it wasn't like a toy guitar. It's like a functioning guitar that you can start learning on. It's definitely a toy. Like it is like, plastic you know every piece of hardware is plastic and like i mean it's not something that definitely entry level <laughs> yeah, Price sure. point. yeah yeah um but yeah it was it was close to real and yeah i just kind of started playing you know not great obviously but i just loved how how it it felt like a game or something um like playing chords and playing you know whatever i could on that thing and so yeah so, the next guitar was like a a strat copy and then from there it just evolved into you know what i have today did you stick with it from six years old on i did um there was like well when i when i first started playing you know i was like really young and so i begged my mom for lessons and she took me to this like older guy and uh he told me that i was really bad and so he was like you should learn drums because (laughs) at what age is this i was six you know i was like a kid um but yeah, I mean, he taught me drums and like I I kind of like I learned some stuff on drums and I I liked it, but I still wanted to pursue guitar. So I was like, I don't want to do lessons anymore. I'm done. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I had like one lesson. And then, you know, after we moved to Texas when you know I think it was like eight, that that's when I really picked it back up to cope with like moving and, and being in a new spot. Well, guitar's tough for six-year-old fingers, yeah. <laughs> even eight-year-old fingers. I mean, I remember my grandpa tried to teach me when I was six, and then I went to the lesson, and then he basically told my mom, yeah, he's not ready. It's too early. <laughs> you know, I don't think I yeah. had the passion there, but just I think physically I, it was just a challenge maybe. Yeah, for me, like I tried to, 
play and you know play a song and it was I remember it being so difficult and I was like how do people do this and I just kept going because I wanted so badly to make music from it you had the drive well that's awesome so early on that you wanted it yeah I I just like wanted I don't know why I just kind of gravitated towards it and and just really wanted to be able to play a song so was there a point in your life when you decided I'm going to go for it to make music my career yeah I think it was in, so I had a summer class, an audio engineering class in, in college, and my uh, professor was super cool, and he had a studio, and yeah, I started writing songs, and I kind of went up to him after class one day, and I was like, hey, uh, do you want to listen to this demo? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it sounds really bad, but like, you know, I'd love to record it with you, and he ended up really liking it, and so we did like an acoustic record at his house and they released it and it it did really well um like locally and so I think that was kind of when I realized okay well maybe I can try and pursue this and so you know I guess I guess when I decide something it's like that's the only way I'm going <laughs> so oh, that's great yeah um, yeah so uh yeah it just kind of snowballed after that into like local gigs and then um you know traveling through the music industry and now I'm here so you must have been writing songs at that point already to have at least enough to to fill a demo. Were these originals? Yeah, it was like 10 songs that I, you know, I didn't really know how to record, but I did have a MacBook. So I would go into my closet in my dorm room and uh, just, you know, record vocals in there. And, and it sounded terrible, but, um, you know, it was, I guess it was good enough to make out, um, like what it what what I was trying to accomplish. So I always thought um, the built-in microphones on the Macs are pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what I used for yeah, my demos. Yeah. But yeah, I've since upgraded though. I've got like a you know better way better knowledge of how to do it now. But yeah, I did start writing songs. I think I started writing songs in high school, and then through college, that's when I formed my band with my roommate, and we started writing together. And then, you know, after we kind of stopped really doing stuff with the band, I, I started to write my own stuff. So, yeah. So what was, backing up a little more, what was high school like? Did you play sports? Were you academic? It sounds like you weren't quite in bands yet. I wasn't in bands, but I desperately wanted to be in bands. Okay. Um, I I was actually in marching band, so. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was one of those kids. But uh yeah, after that, I mean, I would, you know, play orchestral music. And after that, I'd go home and play guitar. And, you know, there were kids in my school who who had bands and I wanted to be a part of them so bad, but mm. I was just too shy. And so... You needed to move away to college to make it happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's like growing up with the the same kids, you know, from fifth grade to 12th grade. It's like, right. you know, you don't, I don't really know if I can open up to these people. So yeah, after I graduated and went to college, yeah, that was kind of the, the, the time when I found myself. Well, you mentioned a recording class. Is that what you were studying there? Actually, I wasn't. I found a loophole in a summer class. <laughs> so mm. I went to, um, I went to college at St. Edwards University, which is on South Congress in Austin. Um, it's like a smaller kind of Catholic school. I'm not Catholic, but I love the campus and mm-hmm. it was a great school. And yeah, I uh, I studied kind of communication and basic stuff there, but I needed like a credit or something. And uh, 
I found, you know, oh, maybe this class would count. And so it, it did, I got it to count, um, but it was audio engineering and I just, I really wanted to learn about it. And that was a, a pivotal part, I think. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of, of pivotal moments or events or connections, are there any other ones that stand out as, when you look back, just that have propelled you forward with your music career? You know, early on, I think one of the most pivotal moments, the one that like stands out in my memory is one of the first like off-campus shows that I got booked for was at the Mohawk Inside um, for this band called Sucre. And I believe the drummer for that band was in Mute Math. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and and I just thought I, I was like, oh my God, I've made it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. um, but it was really cool. It was the first time that I ever got to play out in front of people that I didn't go to school with. Um, and that was kind of, that was a pivotal moment, I think. Motivationally or as far as getting fans? Um, motivationally. Okay. I think it was, it was just like a high that I never felt before. And yeah. it opened up this world that I... I was like, I want more of that. I want to be in that world. So um, yeah, I think that okay. was it. Yeah. And then, so we'll we'll get to this new album. But up until this album, you've put out your music on your own, right? Yes. Uh huh. Well, actually, yeah. Let's talk about the new album. So for our listeners, it's already out. So we're recording this on June third, <laughs> but the podcast won't actually air till July. So the oh, cool. album is indeed out for our listeners here. Cool. Yeah. Anything you want to say about it right now in general title and yeah, this album's called outlier and I recorded it with Michael Schumann from Queens of the stone age. Um, he's the bass player in that band. And uh, I mean, I've always loved that band. I I'm a huge fan, especially of Michael's side project called mini mansions. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So he produced the record and it was, we did pre-production kind of creatively, uh, it was during COVID and lockdown and early in 2020. So we basically had to send demo files back and forth to get pre-production finished. And yeah, I mean, this record is, it's a bit of a pivot from my last 2019 album. Uh, Cause I was, I guess more rooted in, in blues rock, but I, th I wanted to try something different with this record. I wanted to, um, push some boundaries between genres and um, take like modern, you know, synth elements and uh, drum samples and mix them with pop arrangement. And of course, keep the guitar at the forefront because, you know, first and foremost, I'm a guitar player, but yeah, I just tried a bunch of different stuff on it and it came out really cool. I think, I think I, I think I dig it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, I've actually got a secret link. So, oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it. So, uh, but it does make me think how you brought up how you're pushing boundaries. And, you know, there's a strong electronic component. You said there's some drum samples, there's some more produced, like fuzz sort of tones in there. So, I'm wondering, like, if I peel back some layers, are you still writing like on an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar? And then you sort of put flesh on it once you're in the studio or, or is that in pre-production? Like, what does that evolution look like? Yeah. So, you know, I don't write on acoustic anymore. I, I don't really feel connected to an acoustic. Hmm. I think because, I think because my career has evolved so dramatically 
by playing electric that it's like, okay, that's my thing. So whenever I want to write, I just pick up, you know, an electric and plug in and, and see what happens. And um, so it starts there and then I'll flesh stuff out in pre-production and get like the basic sounds that I'm looking for. But then in the studio, we'll, you know, tweak and refine them to be the exact sound that, that I'm looking for. So, yeah. So would it be like uh, initially like a, a riff and melody or are you actually are playing chords on electric guitar and then you're going to send that over? I usually have them pretty written. Oh, okay. You know, before I send, you know, something to somebody, I like to have at least a verse and a chorus um, and, you know, the basic idea of every instrument. So I kind of do as much as I possibly can up front and then so you use logic up. or actually i use i use personas uh studio one five okay. yeah it's great do you have a favorite song on this album favorite song let's see i feel like it's probably my lungs give out um that one is that the last one that one oh is... no no i dig that one too i love the verse like the instrumentation on the verse oh thanks yeah 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 I don't know. I just love playing it live and I feel like I really got to a point with the lyrics where I, you know, achieved what I wanted to achieve without saying more than I had to. And I just love the the instrumentation. I think I think Michael added a lot and Yeah, it's, really it's got a great vibe to it. Do you have a favorite so so we talked about favorite song. Do you perhaps have a favorite moment on the album? Yes. Oh. <laughs> there's a song called cover of virtue i think it's the second one um but there's a part in the second verse that michael and and kian um the guy who mixed the record they came up with this really cool idea to make it sound like the record was skipping um but it's in rhythm and so i just i love that part it's really it's got a lot of attitude in it oh that's awesome i'll go back and check that one out i think yeah. that song has yeah, that one's got really cool changes. I think I'm thinking about the right one, like a really great chorus, and then it does it go to like a, a halftime or like a sort of a, a slowdown part? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of all over the place. When I wrote it, I was like, oh my God, how am I going <laughs> to... There's so many ideas swirling around this song in my head, and it was it was quite a beast to, to get it down, but yeah. That's cool. I typically like that when people go for some uh, big changes in songs. Yeah, me too. So how did your connection come about with Michael Schumann? You know, it was a shot in the dark. Um, <laughs> while we were on the road, my bass player and drummer and I just traveled, the three of us, on the road. And we were listening to many mansions. I think we were going to Ohio or something. And my bass player was like, man, have you ever thought about getting Michael Schumann to produce your next record? <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's a great idea. I should just like see if maybe my manager knows anybody in his camp. Just like, why not? You know, it doesn't hurt to ask. Has he done other production or just he, his own stuff? Just his own stuff. And um, I think he's he's done like film scores, I think, and session stuff um, for a lot of people. But yeah, just his own stuff. And I love the production on on Mini Mansions records. And I was like, I really want that sound. And then, you know, Evan, my bass player, was like, well, you should get Michael Schumann. Like, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, then I, you know, emailed my my manager and 
he was like, let me see what I can do. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, I know it's probably a long shot, but you know, why not? And you know, Michael emailed back. So I, I mean, I, I remember me and the guys just like jumping up and down in our hotel room when I got that email. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this worked. <laughs> but That's uh, so yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm smiling over here. That's, that's crazy. It, <laughs> it came through. Yeah. It so came just through. from an idea. You never know. You just never know. That's so cool. Uh, what's touring going to look like for this album? Uh, it's going to be pretty extensive. I've got some Texas dates in between now and um, October when the actual month-long tour starts. And we're going to go through the South and then up the East Coast, up to all the way up to New York and do a couple shows with Joan Jett. That's cool. Some Joan Jett shows? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. I love touring so much and not being able to was, you know, pretty devastating. So I'm, I'm like, just give me whatever show. Just I'll play a nursery, you know, just like I'll play in front of babies. <laughs> like whatever comes at me, book it. So yeah. What do you like about the road? I mean, I guess it's the actual performing. There's so much about it. I love being with my band. Um, I didn't grow up with brothers. So I don't know. We've, we've got this dynamic of it's very family like and, we just laugh the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I just, I love the van rides. I you know, my drummer is constantly putting on old nineties stuff that I missed. Like we'll listen to the nineties stuff now and be like, Oh my God, sugar Ray is actually amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like getting to like revisit old stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Musically. Yeah. And they help me out with the merch table too. Uh, at shows. So it's kind of fun. Like everybody gets to meet them and it's just a really cool vibe. It's like family. We'll go on hikes and, you know, certain uh, places and hit up every Mexican place we can um, for burritos. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's great. What about what's the hardest part? The hardest part is the load in and out because I play a lot of venues that I haven't played before. Um, so a lot of times we'll get to the venue and there was one time when there were stairs and no elevator and we had to carry up all of our stuff like to the second floor. Yeah, but, yeah, or yeah. No, it was like the third floor of this place. So, I mean, luckily, you know, my bandmates are strong dudes, but man, it's, it's brutal though. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Day in, day out. Yeah. All right. I got a lightning round. Cool. If you could tour with any band or artist, past or present, who would it be? Oh my God. Any, any artist, The Kills. I love The Kills. Okay. If you could go back in a time machine, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh my God, that's so good. I would say don't compare yourself to anybody else. It's not worth the time. Just go your own path because everybody's path is different. Okay. Looking into the future, what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? 10 years. Or whatever. Yeah, I want, you know, I want to have a couple Grammys under my belt. I want to, yeah. you know, tour, ideally, um, tour, tour like arena shows every night, have a couple golden retrievers at home. Man, that sounds good. Yeah, that's the goal, I think. And eventually, like, produce other bands. I'd love to do that when I'm older. Do you have any golden retrievers right now? I don't. I have an Australian Shepherd and a mutt named Otis. Um, but yeah, they're the best. All right. Any strange fan encounters that come to mind? Oh my God. I feel like I have like at least one, you know, every show. Let's see. Strange right. <laughs> fan encounters. One that, you know, one that comes to mind is 
one time this guy came up to the merch table and, you know, he didn't buy anything. He didn't say hi. <laughs> he just said, he looked at me and he was like, you need to look at the audience more and then <laughs> left. And I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, uh, um, okay. It's like, no, I don't want to. But yeah. So Could that's more like a mentor than a fan. Just like, you know, <laughs> critical person. I was like, cool, dude. Like it was yeah. really weird. But uh, for the most part, though, you know, that's pretty good. Okay. Uh, do you have a best or worst gig ever? Best gig ever was at the Cajun Dome with Hart and Joan Jett. Um, it was like the biggest show I've ever played. Wow. Like a full-on arena. Um, it was it was like a... Man, I was riding that high for weeks after. What city was that? It was in Lafayette. Okay. Yeah, wherever the Cajun Dome is. And then uh, worst gig... <laughs> Man, there's there's a bunch of them from early on. But one time I played a show on top of a hot tub um, <laughs> in a hotel, uh, which the stage was over top of the hot tub. I'm trying to picture this. So it's built like, say, six feet above it. So there's like clearance. Yep. And people are in, in the hot tub. They weren't in the hot tub. They were in the pool and okay. like, um, you know, drinking their cocktails. Uh, it was at this hotel in Dallas and <laughs> it was just, you know, but, you know, it wasn't my scene. Right. Um, I think people were like, what is a band doing here? Why is she <laughs> playing music? Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody knew I was going to play. Um, oh, and it okay. Was just over so it's just like an awkward setup. It's so awkward. It yeah. was, it was so awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see. Oh, if you couldn't play music, what would you want your livelihood to be? Like, do you ever think, oh, this would be cool if I had time? Yes, I would be an electrician. Um, Whoa. Yeah. All right. I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Um, Are you an amateur electrician around the house? Yeah. Uh, okay. That stuff. And I mean, I love to solder and I love to like pull apart pedals and look at, you know, what is this? capacitor do what is this transformer you know whatever um so yeah i think i'd want to go to like school to be an electrician that's cool where where does that come from i don't know were you exposed early on to more mechanical things or i you know i mean my dad would always kind of work in his shop and have creative ways of solving you know electrical problems or you know problems with whatever was going on and I think that maybe had an influence, but something about opening up pet. I started opening up pedals and looking at them and trying to figure out how they make sounds. And that was probably about seven years ago when I started doing that. And I just loved it. And from then on, I started making my own mics. And I mean, they're not, you know, anything that anyone could sell, but they're fun. Um, wow, it's just like, crazy. Mics, yeah, it's, it's fun. And, there's been a couple of mics that I've made out of speakers that have been on um, previous recordings of mine. So that's cool. I just, I just think it's so cool that you can plug in a guitar to a box and get a sound out of it that can inspire you to create a song that can affect someone's life. Yeah. It's just like really interesting to me. Um, maybe, maybe you could take your electrical skills in this parallel life and like start a pedal company. That might be cool. That would rule. Maybe I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your most popular song? I think it's Atta Blues, which that one I did in 2014. And that song 
is pretty special to me. It's, I, you know, I had kind of a rough time up leading up to that. Um, a lot of things going on in my life. And, and then I, I got my focus back on music and, um, I played all the instruments on it and it was really fun. It was fun to play drums on a recording. And do you ever think why it's your most popular? Anything that comes to mind there? I really do wonder why. Um, cause I feel like I have better songs elsewhere, but <laughs> I mean, I love that people dig it. Um, I, I feel like it's maybe the riff and like the guitar kind of okay. like bluesy thing, but yeah. I don't know. I'm glad people like it, though. Do you have any predictions for this new album? Like what the most popular song will be? I don't know. Say like a year in. Do you see like one song emerging as the most popular? I've been told that No Man is like the one um, by multiple people. I don't know if I feel that way. I, I feel that maybe Vermilion Park or My Lungs Give Out will be you know, the ones that kind of break through, but yeah. I'm also kind of historically bad at guessing that. So yeah, I don't know. It could be one of those three. But. All right. Well, your guesses are on record. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any predictions of how the music business might be different, say 10 years from now? Mm. Wow. That's you can always pass question. too. I want to try and answer Okay, it. cool. Um, let's see. I feel like you know, live streaming was a big thing of COVID. And I, I almost feel like people are gonna maybe live stream shows, even, even when they're like real shows that people attend. Mm. I I just wonder if that's a market that we're going towards. If you could sort of enhance your, your revenue by selling tickets to people outside the area, they could. Yeah. 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 I do wonder if that's going to be a thing. Yeah. Maybe that. But there's, you know, people come up with ways to monetize the industry all the time. And I feel like it changes constantly. Um, Like with the NFT thing. Have you heard about the NFTs? Yeah, like the blockchain sort of, I don't get it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I I sort of understand it. And it's it's super weird. But also I'm like, oh, it's kind of genius. So I don't know. I guess we'll find out. So let's see. So we're talking about where people are buying digital, like intellectual property or, or digital content right yes so it could be like a maybe you could give a better example than i can try to muster right now yeah so i'm i'm not an expert but what i've been told is if i were to make an nft it would be you know say i do an acoustic uh version of something better one of my songs and that song is available nowhere else other than this nft and so i can put it up on you know, whatever. So wait, that's what I don't get. Like where, what is the NFT? Like, isn't it just a file, like an MP3 or something? Yeah. It's just a file. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know where you put it up, but basically somebody can buy that, you know, for 10 bucks and then it's their property. And then every time they sell it to somebody, which you can sell it, then I would get a cut of the NFT sale. So they could sell it for 20 bucks and I would get a cut. And then, you know, it can be, it can kind of snowball into this like thing where they just keep selling this property and it's but just is it a like file. The original mix that they own, like people could just copy the song and then, I don't know, I'm trying think, to think how it's different. I think that's where, that's how it differs is that it's like cryptid to where you cannot share it. You know, 
you have to pay for it okay to to own it so i think i think that's what it is like there was Again. some famous gif that sold yeah and i was trying to figure out like what does that mean isn't it still roaming the internet like if people can find that gif anywhere but it's like yeah. do, do they own the the original that the person made yeah i think it is the original i okay. believe but again, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert. But, but it's just I'm interesting. Saying. There's a, this new concept of owning like moments that happened. Like I've, they're yeah. talking about like selling sport, you know, uh, a famous, I don't know, soccer goal or something. So crazy. It's like Black Mirror, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. We'll see. I guess we'll see what happens, you know? Yeah. I got to do some research. All right. Are there any practices that you picked up through COVID that you think you'll stick with? I feel like Zoom you know, co-writing sessions with people through Zoom started out being really terrible. And then after a while, I was like, oh, this really takes out a lot of the logistics that, you know, somebody in New York, I could write with somebody in New York over the computer versus me paying a bunch of money to travel up there to write for a couple of days. And, you know, it just takes a lot of the financial burden off of stuff. So I think maybe co-writing over zoom is something that i'll continue to do yeah yeah well that makes sense i mean I, a parallel is this podcast in the beginning i used to do all of them in person and then covid hit but now it's kind of like well yeah this is so much easier it really and so is. many people are, are are more available just to hop on zoom yep i don't have to do a travel day down to la so that's definitely stuck yeah all right here we go grand finale uh favorite guitar strings slinky cobalts Okay. Yes. That works for us. So you're playing the tens? Tens. Uh-huh. Tens. Okay, cool. Yeah, I used to play strings, like the nickel ones. Uh-huh. Because I really liked the like the sustain of them. And then somebody reached out and they were like, Hey, have you ever tried the cobalts? I was like, No. So I mean, I played them and and they sounded better. They were higher output. They felt yeah. better like the attack it was just all around you know light years better so i i haven't stopped playing those let's see i've been playing cobalts for like six years i think awesome well emily wolf thanks for being on the podcast thanks for having me really fun thanks for tuning in to striking a chord and ernie ball podcast thanks emily wolf congrats on a great album if you'd like to contact us, please email strikingaccord at ernieball.com. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, actually, you are tour, freezing up. But I'm glad I had some time to write a record. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's why we turn the video off. I guess it does actually help for the audio. Yeah.